as always, it is good to gather with the people of the Lord each week as we have a sense of Christian community together. You know, community has been defined as life in association with others or as a group of persons having common ties or common interests living in the same locality. So I want to ask you this morning, where or with whom do you find the greatest sense of community? Now we as people were created to live life with other people. We were created to experience life with other people, to experience community together. None of us were created uh, to live the life of Tarzan. None of us were created to live off in the wilderness, in the jungle, by ourselves with no others from our kind around. We were created to be with each other. Though some of us are extroverted, some of us are introverted, we both, we all need people. If you've ever been part of a sports team, or you've ever been in the band, or you've ever been part of a choir group, or the chess club, or math club, or rotary club, or the fellowship of Christian athletes, or part of a fraternity or sorority, or any other type of club, then then you have experienced a sense of community around a shared interest, a common interest with other individuals. So, so with who do you sense the greatest community? Where do you find community? Is it with those that have a similar hobby, with those who, um, who are part of the same political party or share the same political persuasions. Perhaps it's with your family. Perhaps it's with fellow Alabama football fans or with fellow Auburn football fans. After eight years of living in Alabama, I'm beginning to learn there's a pretty strong connection there, particularly during this time of, of year. But where's your greatest sense of community? Perhaps a circle of friends dating back to high school with a number of of shared experiences. But we have all experienced community, multiple layers of community, shared interests, shared experiences around a number of things. And if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, then the greatest sense of community ought to be when you are with fellow Christians. When you are with others who have experienced the same salvation, the same grace of God, the same forgiveness from the perfect, matchless, incredible God who who reigns on high. There ought to be a sense of community that we naturally have with, with other believers. And certainly as we gather together with other believers. And the author of Hebrews writes to believers and says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There is no better day than today, church. There is no better day than today to, to reemphasize a commitment to Christian community, a commitment to gathering together with the people of God growing alongside fellow believers for, for the glory of, of God. We'll see this morning from God's word that through the gospel, Jesus creates a community that surpasses 
all communities. Through the gospel, the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, Jesus, our Savior, creates a community that surpasses any and all other communities. And we'll see that truth from Colossians chapter 4 this morning. So let me encourage you, let me invite you to open up a Bible or to turn on a Bible, however you have access to a Bible, to look on with a neighbor, but to look at God's Word with me now in Colossians chapter 4. Remember that Colossians is near the end of the Bible, short letter that if we're not careful we skip right over, but a short letter that's packed with truth that we have been walking through for the last several weeks and indeed the last few months and a letter that we conclude this morning. So as you find Colossians chapter 4, let me encourage you once again to join me standing out of reverence for God's word as we desire to hear from from him. The conclusion of Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, reads this way. Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. By the way, there's some good names in these few verses if you're looking for names uh, for children. Uh, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Verse 10, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Thank you. You may be seated. Some of these names stuck, didn't they? Mark and Luke. But most of the others, not so popular today. And we come to the end of this letter. And we read various names and short descriptions of these people. Sort of an update on what's happening and various uh, circumstances, for update and what's happening in the lives of various followers of Jesus who are scattered away from the city of Colossae. Remember that Paul wrote this letter to Christians in Colossae, wrote it to the church in Colossae, reminding them that they need to refix their eyes on the one who reigns, the one who is uh, the central object and subject of our faith, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so we come to a, a passage like this, and this is not really a normal uh, passage, a normal uh, sermon passage of, of Scripture. Nevertheless, we know 
according to God's word, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, or so that the people of God, that's us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And, and so is this text. A text, a passage of scripture that may simply seem as a formality, a way of closing up a book or a letter is packed with truth from God that ought to be instructive for us as followers of Christ, even today, on August 9, 2015, in Birmingham, Alabama. So with that being said, I want us to see three Christian principles uh, from this portion of God's Word today. And the first is this, that Christ's followers should encourage one another. Christ followers should encourage one another. I don't know what what you took away from those few verses already, but they are full of a tone of encouragement. Here's what's happening with Tychicus and Onesimus and whoever else. Pray for them and know that they are praying for you. Know that they are interested in what is going on in your life. As followers of Jesus, we ought to be an encouragement to one another. We have to find encouragement with the church as we gather together in a local expression of the church. As members and worshipers that are part of Meadowbrook Baptist Church, we ought to be an encouragement to one another and encouraged by each other. For we have made a commitment to come together and to be part of this expression of Christ's body. To worship Him together and to grow alongside each other as followers of Jesus. And ultimately to go out and to live lives, missional lives for the glory of God. But, but our connection with each other ought to be much deeper and stronger than simply a shared space or a shared culture or a shared geography. Our connection is the greatest connection that we can have with any other people in this world, and that is a shared experience of, of God's grace. We have to have a connection with all of those, natural uniting point with all of those who know the grace of God, who have experienced salvation by grace through faith in, in Christ. And so this is why, this is why Paul can write Tychicus as a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant, Onesimus, who It's a runaway slave, by the way, as a faithful and dear brother who's one of you. This is why he could go on to talk about Aristarchus and Mark and Barnabas and Justice and Epaphras and Luke and Demas and Nympha and Archippus. These various folks who have a shared commitment to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Some of these whom whom have some sort of geographical connection with Colossae, and others really who have no connection at all, simply a connection around faith in in Jesus Christ. Church, this is why we can gather with a church like First Baptist Church of Asipco for a joint time of fellowship and worship. Two churches that, upon, upon first look and encounter, look very different, and to a certain extent sound very different, but who worship the same God and who are saved by the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is why we can have Christian community with neighbors who are part of Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. and Why we can have Christian community with co-workers who are part of Mountain Brook Community Church. And 
while we can have Christian community with fellow shoppers at Walmart who are part of North Shelby Baptist Church because we have a shared experience of the grace of the Almighty God. Thus, we can encourage one another and we can encourage one another by exchanging stories of God's grace. So let's be an encouragement as the people of God to other followers of Jesus Christ by exchanging stories of God's grace. Telling one another what it is that we have experienced, grace of God that has been experienced by us and hearing from others about the way they have experienced the grace of, of the Almighty God. I can't tell you what an encouragement it was to me last Sunday to receive an email last Sunday morning from a fellow pastor in this city whom I, I've met a couple times, but I don't, I don't know well. I don't consider him a close friend just saying, hey, Chris, just wanted you to know that I'm praying for you this morning and we are praying for Meadowbrook Baptist Church this morning as you gather together to worship God. And We can only imagine what an encouragement it must have been to the church at Colossae to hear from the Apostle Paul that Epaphras, this man who first shared the gospel of Christ with people in Colossae who made the first converts to Christianity in the city of Colossae. What an encouragement it must have been to that church to hear in verse 12 that he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. What an encouragement it is to know that others are thinking of us, other believers who are thinking of us. And we saw last week as we looked at the verses leading up to to the conclusion of this letter, we saw this emphasis on prayer that sort of led to a, a focus on praying for the spread of the gospel, praying that, that Paul would have open doors to share his faith and ultimately reminding Paul in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 that we are to make the most of every opportunity, that we are to be looking, all of us as followers of Jesus, looking for opportunities to speak the gospel, to share the gospel, to share the grace of God with all those we encounter. But we as people of faith are not only called to share the truths of God with with unbelievers, but we ought to be talking about the great truths of God with each other as well. We're not talking about the grace of God with with fellow Christians. We're certainly not going to talk about the grace of God with, with unbelievers. We ought to be sharing stories of of God's grace with one another. How many How many stories represented in this church family of of God's grace in the lives of other people are you familiar with? Am I familiar with? How many stories of God's grace in individuals and families who make up this church family are you aware of? Church, we ought to be intentional about getting to know others in, in the church that we might hear about how God is answering prayer, how God has delivered from addiction how God has saved and extended forgiveness by His grace for for our sins before Him. Do you have a sense of community, of Christian community with other believers in, in Jesus? Church, through the gospel, Jesus creates a community that surpasses any and every, all other communities. For Christ followers are united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ followers, Christians, believers in Jesus are united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there are just some things that tend to divide us. Certain characteristics or preferences that that naturally 
sort of put a barrier between us and, and other folks. Perhaps that's language and social status or geography, culture, shared interest or, or unfamiliar interest, unshared interest, I guess would be a way to say that. Personality traits, age, nationality, race, several things that naturally divide us as people. But then there are other things that unite us in a way that overcomes those natural barriers. For example, you may see someone thousands of miles away from here in an in an airport in some other part of the world wearing a t-shirt that represents your favorite sports team and you just feel compelled to speak to them, to say something to them as if you have a connection, not knowing anything about them other than their allegiance to your favorite sports team. Just a few days ago, just two or three days ago, my wife Ashley and I were having a conversation in the car. We were talking to our daughter Kinsley, who's four, and we were talking about this upcoming uh, school year, and she's in preschool here, and uh, talking about those that would be in her preschool class, and, and one or two that would be different this year as compared to last year, and uh, Ashley was telling her that uh, one, one particular young boy would not be in her class this year because he had moved away, or, or, or he was going somewhere else, and Kinsley just sort of paused, and sort of just matter-of-factly said, well, He's still in my class. Once in your class, always in your class. Right? Once a child of God, always a child of God. Once a sister in Christ, always a sister in Christ. Once a brother in Christ, always a brother in Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ creates a new community that surpasses any and all other communities. We see particular expressions of the right here in Colossians chapter 4 in the conclusion of this letter, particular ways that this is played out and manifests itself in various relationships in the world. And the first that we see is the relationship between two different people groups, two different people who were at odds with one another, who were hostile toward one another. That's Jews and Gentiles. Paul mentions three men. He mentions Aristarchus and Mark. And justice in verses 10 and 11. And then what does he say? He says, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. And then he goes on and obviously mentions some other folks. Mentions Epaphras and Luke and Demas. And the natural conclusion that we can draw is that they were not Jews. These were Gentile Christians. They were united together around the gospel of Jesus Christ on a shared experience of the grace of God, co-workers for the same Lord. And another, perhaps more subtle connection that is made here, that is conveyed in these verses, is the relationship between two individuals, Paul, who's writing this letter, and Mark. Mark, also known as, as John Mark. And if you'll remember elsewhere in the New Testament, Acts chapter 13, we read about Paul and Barnabas going on a missionary journey and, and this particular fellow, Mark, abandoning them, leaving them, returning home for whatever reason. We don't know why, but we know this caused a great deal of tension in the relationship between Paul and Mark. It's where later Barnabas wants, wants Mark to go along with him. And Paul says, no, he's not going with us. He left us last time. And Paul and Barnabas split up over this very issue. And now Paul is sending greetings to the church in Colossae Concerning Mark, saying, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. In other words, we experience 
disagreements in life. We know this. And all of us, we've inherited a bent towards sin. We are naturally sinners from birth. We're naturally proud and selfish to a great extent. And we tend to dis- disagree with one another from, from time to time. And that certainly will not go away. But there is something that supersedes those disagreements. Something that unites us even when we disagree. And that is the grace of God displayed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then one other example of people who were formerly perhaps divided being united around the gospel of Jesus that we see in in this passage of Scripture. And that's men and women written in a culture that is really dominated by, by men. Paul is careful here to mention a, a woman, Nympha. Greet Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. It is for Jews and Gentiles. It is for those we disagree with. And it is for men and for women. We have been united around the grace of God because we are all dependent on the grace of God for salvation and forgiveness before the Almighty God. And as we think about the breadth and the depth of Christian community, the vastness of Christian community that we can experience with all of those who who know Christ, whether or not we have anything else really in common with them or not, let's continually consider the depth of human sin and the riches of God's grace. Continually consider the depth of human sin and the riches of God's grace. The Bible is is very clear and Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and following, that there's no one righteous before God. Not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. That very same chapter of God's Word, Romans chapter 3, picking up in... In verse 23, we read that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The reality is, according to God's Word, that none of us are righteous on our own standing before God. None of us are deserving of forgiveness and eternal life before the almighty maker of heaven and earth. None of us deserve abundant and eternal life before God, for we have all fallen short of God's standard. But for all who have repented of sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation, then we are fellow brothers and sisters and children of the almighty God. We've experienced the riches of God's grace and the Language of Ephesians chapter 1, riches of God's grace that He lavished on us through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good word? Lavished on us. The grace of God lavished on us. And I think of lavished and the idea there, I think of food. I think of chicken fried steak smothered in gravy, vanilla ice cream covered in Hershey's chocolate syrup. Has your life, has your soul been covered and smothered by the grace of the Almighty God? Turn to those around. Turn to your neighbor and say, has your life been, have you experienced 
the lavishness of God's grace. Has God's grace been lavished upon you? I can see there's a few of you thinking about doing that, perhaps with your spouse, but no one else. But even so, look around, look at your neighbor, and, and, and look at them, and, and you know that, that your neighbor is, is thinking that question in their mind as they look at you. But have you experienced the incredible grace of the Almighty God? Has your life been covered? Has it been smothered with God's grace? If it has, then we have a great deal in common with one Another, And when we consider the depth of human sin, all human sin before God, and the riches of God's grace toward us as sinners, then we cannot help but love other people and experience unity with other followers of Jesus Christ through the gospel. Through the gospel, church, Jesus creates a community that surpasses all communities. And within that community, third principle I want us to see this morning, Christ's followers are called to pray for one another. Within the Christian community that we have, shared community that we have in and through Jesus Christ, we are called to pray for one another. And we see examples of this right here in the conclusion, farewell, the greetings, final greetings of, of this letter. Church, we, we worship and serve a God who desires to hear from us. And a God who desires to answer prayers on our behalf that are taken to Him in, in faith and consistent with who He is and, and what He has called us to be. And this emphasis on praying for one another is certainly evident here in His words about Epaphras. Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you, he says. I think also this truth leads him in the final verse of this, of this book to say, Remember my chains. Paul says, remember my chains. I don't think he's saying, remember me, just so he'll always be on your mind. I think he's saying, as you go to God in prayer, as you approach God in worship, you remember me and my situation and the hardships that I'm facing as I'm faithful to the call that God has put on my life. You remember me by lifting me in prayer to God. I think all of these names mentioned here conclusion of this letter meant to remind us of the community that we have with other followers of Christ and to prod us to pray for one another. You don't have to know someone very well to pray for them. But certainly the more you know them, the more specifically you can pray for them. And as Christ followers who are called to pray for other followers of Christ, let's befriend fellow Christians. Let's befriend fellow Christians. Let's get to know other followers of Jesus. Let's spend time with one another, recognizing that church is not simply all about us. As if we come here to get filled up and then to go out and to live our lives in isolation. No, we are called to come alongside one another, to walk through life together, to serve Christ together, to grow in, in Christ together. So let's befriend fellow believers and let's befriend fellow believers so that we might contend for fellow believers. Befriend fellow believers and contend for fellow believers. You can contend for one another. We can contend for one another by lifting up one another in prayer to God. You know, it's interesting that if you ask people in, in the world, people who really have little interest in church or perhaps even little interest in God, few people will deny you the opportunity to pray for them. In fact, many professing unbelievers will even 
share specific circumstances and experiences in their own life so that you can pray specifically for them. And if unbelievers believe in the potential power of prayer, then how much more should we as recipients of God's incredible grace that's been lavished on us believe in prayer and practice praying for one another, contending for fellow believers. We are called to participate in a a community of believers that is greater, that is stronger, that supersedes all other communities in life. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, once again. And let us consider... Let us, the church, consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, we we thank you for Christian community. We thank you for your design for the church, Lord, that you don't call us to follow you alone, but you have called us to follow you in community, Lord, in Christian community with other brothers and sisters who've experienced the same grace from you. Lord, we thank you that that your grace is for all. Lord, we thank you that, that your grace unites us with one another in a way that is far stronger than anything that that divides us in this world. Father, we thank you that you love us and we pray that we would be faithful followers of you, that we would be a church that values each other, that loves each other, that prays for one another and encourages one another for for your glory. Father, lead us as a church that, that we might be faithful to Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.